so we're going to look again at this forgiveness thing uh, and how it turns into Jesus' victory over sin. And remember, we started this with the question, or I started it with the question, so what does it mean that you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? And, and how do we relate to that? And so it, that's kind of led us to here. So this is the one and only review slide, although I packed as much into it as is humanly possible. So there's basically a, a structure that we looked at through N.T. Wright, and there's a structure that we looked at just kind of tracking. Um, remember, we talked about a greater emphasis on Jesus doing what he did as the Messiah, and how when it says that, uh, Paul says, this is of first importance, that Jesus died for our sins. Hi, Jeannie. That Jesus died. Hey, Tim that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture, that that doesn't mean He died for our sins in a way that we can proof text. He died for our sins in a way that the whole flow of scriptural history talked about. So the idea of Jesus the Messiah, uh, through Him, Father, forgiving our sins, links, links us to the whole story of Scripture. All right, so as a fulfillment of God's covenant purposes, Jesus the Messiah dies for our sins on the cross according to the Bible. And God declares humanity in the right because of and in our union with Jesus. Uh, there's some other details, uh, just for a second, to c- call to your mind. One of the things that Dr. Wright points out is that the byproduct of sin all throughout the Old Testament story was exile. And exile created a barrier for the people to worship, a people to, to recognize what God was doing in their midst. It wasn't the thing that God left, because when they were in exile in Babylon, he was certainly there with the... the guys in the furnace, right? He was there with Daniel. He was there, he was there, he was there, he was there with Nick, with uh, um, Nebuchadnezzar. So it's not a matter of God withdrawing, but it is a matter of, as it says, the, the, the proper reading there in Isaiah 59 at the beginning, your sins have created a separation between you and your God. In other words, so you can't see, so you can't hear, that kind of an idea. So that is what this idea of Jesus forgiving sins began to overcome was that sense of exile, that sense of separation. Okay, the second aspect of that is that the rulers and powers are stripped of authority on the cross. Now, I don't know exactly how that happens. Does anybody know exactly how that happened? The mechanics of that? Okay, so then I'm going to suggest that we don't have to worry about that to, to, to get the benefit out of it. We, we don't have to know how that worked. I have searched the Old Testament. I've read all kinds of stuff from Michael Heiser. I've done all kinds of things for a few years trying to understand this whole council of heaven thing. I've seen stuff during ascensions. I still don't know. But I know, and I, I, and, and I can't really go back and figure out why it is that God, Yahweh, as the ultimate authority, would delegate authority. You know, I just don't know. But it seems like he did. And it seems like that they kind of abused that, and it seems like whatever Jesus did on the cross put an end to that abuse, an end to that, that misuse. And with sins forgiven, the authority was revoked, and now those influences of principalities and powers are unauthorized, but they're still lying spirits. And so if we believe the lie, you know, or Paul says... Uh, should we sin that grace might abound? And then he goes on to say, well, no, but don't you realize that the one you submit to, you become a slave of. And so I think that is more the nature of demonic influence, and there's plenty of it in our culture and around the world, but it's not some kind of universally authorized thing the way it was perhaps when 
The devil tempted Jesus and said, hey, if you'll bow down, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Jesus didn't dispute that he could do that, but I don't think he's got those kingdoms to give anymore. And I think that is partly what happened on the cross. And then lastly, the uh, restoration of our role as image bearers. Uh, the kingdom, first of all, has come. There was a definite manifestation, is a definite manifestation of the kingdom. And Jesus rose from the dead, and he was the king of that kingdom, right? And so the kingdom has come. And when you look at what happened that didn't happen before that, after the resurrection of Jesus, people start coming to the Lord. The Cornelius of this world were vulnerable and open to the gospel. Uh, the Holy Spirit was able to lead. And it's not that there wasn't any supernatural stuff that happened in, in times past, but it, it wasn't like the unleashing of, of all of that vulnerability to the truth, vulnerability to the gospel. And I think that's in large part because of the breaking of those principalities and powers. Secondly, individually, believers are free. People are free to begin to become believers and believers are free to begin to experience the restoration of why we were created. Let us make man in our image. And, let's, and, and there's dominion associated with that, if you think back. Okay, So this is just review, right? Does that make sense, though? All righty. And then the last one category, wasn't on here a couple weeks ago. When I sh- the church, the body of Christ, is given the ministry of, and I put up there just because I had to condense it in space, ministry of forgiveness and, and the word of reconciliation. So there's two scriptures there that we'll look at in just a little bit of detail. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21. As ambassadors to God, therefore, we um, beg you, be reconciled to God because he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become sons of God. And then the John twenty nineteen is the one we looked at two weeks ago before we prayed for those girls in New York. And that's an uh, issue about forgiveness. Yes, Richard. Have you, have you, um, well, first of all, we're talking about the kingdom and the church and there's been some confusion of Church age, king, church age, kingdom age. I've always looked at it when Jesus said the kingdom is here. That's when the kingdom age is here, mm-hmm. and it links up with the church age. It overlaps. Yes. Yeah, I think I. I also think that I know that there is some distinction made by people that I love and trust, uh, and I'm not saying there isn't situations where it is appropriate to talk about moving from one age to another, something like that. But I don't emphasize that and I don't think that I don't think that if there was a transition both of these things both the the church and the body of Christ and the kingdom find their source in the victory that Jesus won on the cross so if there's a difference of how that got applied I'm okay with that but and and maybe there is because again I don't know how Jesus got rid of the principalities and powers but I know he did and I know that the kingdom is at hand. Now, he even said that, though. This is an important point, I think. Jesus said that before he ever went to the cross. He popped right out of the wilderness and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not, don't go look in there, don't go look in there. It's in you. He had the authority to do that because at that time, Jesus, Yeshua, was the body of Christ on the earth. In other words, when he stepped, the dimensions were from there to there, here to here, here to here. That was the body of Christ. What we see in John 20, I think, is the, re, the, the extension of the body of Christ now out through these disciples and then out through the 120 and then out through the 3,000 that were saved and then out through the 5,000 that were saved. So um, it's a good question. I don't have a contrary answer and I don't have a definitive answer, 
But for the purpose of what I'm thinking about and the focus I'm taking back to the cross when Jesus was hanging there and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then all the work that went on in the, in the grave and resurrection, I think both the kingdom on the earth and the church on the earth, while not synonymous, not exactly the same thing, I think they have particulars, but I think they both draw their life from that same thing. Yeah. And my second question is, have you come across any other theologians that have that look at the scripture the same way as N.T. Wright? N.T. Wright. Uh, so N.T. Wright has been proposing this in various forms for about 15 years. So the answer to that is yes. There's a guy named Scott McKnight, who obviously is brilliant. And it's not a pseudonym for me. It's actually a dude, but he does look like he might be a brother, uncle, or something. Uh, yeah, Scott McKnight's a reform guy that that uh, is has bought into this a lot. Uh, a lot of reform theologians are pretty resistant to it because it's it's very threatening for them to think of uh, substitutionary atonement and substitutionary or and assigned imputed justification as. as the way N.T. Wright does. Now, he believes in those things, but he believes them in this context of the restoration of image bearer and the extension of the kingdom. Whereas, whereas, uh, and so when he says that in our theology we have platonized uh, eschatology, meaning we've we've uh, platonized it by surrendering to the dualism that what's down here is not good or inferior, and what's up there is superior. So the goal of everything Jesus did on the cross was to go to heaven. That's Platonizing it. And then his other word is even less flattering. He says we've moralized uh, righteousness and justification. So we've made made it uh, some sort of declaration of us conforming to a list instead of us being transformed into somebody who, unlike a moth in a flame, can literally be in intimate fellowship with God. So that's a challenge for them. And that w- was a challenge that we worked through here a number of years ago, and so it's pretty easy for me to think that way. And then the last one is the real kicker. He says we've paganized <laughs> atonement. We've taken a Zeus image and then a sacrificial image of a demigod. And uh, so that doesn't make him lots of friends in those areas, but yes, there is a, there is a uh, well, fundamental beliefs of Orthodox Christianity is very much more lined up with it this way. They never bought into those things. And then there is a... He's a pretty popular guy. I mean, a lot of people follow him. A lot of churches share his stuff. and you know. So, yeah. Okay, so anyway, those are kind of the three areas from a review standpoint. So, God... Let's, let's just cover those three areas real quick. God forgives sin through Jesus. How, when, where did that forgiveness happen? So I'm proposing something to you, and now I have to take a little parenthetical thing. I feel like in in these topics, the Lord has extended grace to us and to me to touch something that is so unbelievably central and more central than I've known in my whole life. And so I, I don't actually have the words to explain this properly, but for lack of better words, I'm terrified at just teaching this to you. Because that would be such a gross disservice for a number of reasons. One, the bigger something is and the more central it is to the heart of God and the whole redemptive reason that creation happened and redeemed and all that, 
to think that we can teach all the details in an exhaustive way of that is super blind or arrogant or something, and I try not to be any of those things. And I don't think I, I don't think I am, so I'm telling you, like the little topic of how did Jesus what what were the mechanics uh, and the strategies that overcame the principalities? I do not have a clue. I think Jesus refusing to make equality with God something to be grasped and giving himself as a sacrifice and being the lamb slain before the foundation world. And then I, and so in a sense, if I'm not satisfied with that enough to begin to think and obey and believe that I live freer than I thought of the of the principalities and powers that that I can't run around this will date me real bad. I can't run around with Flip Wilson saying, the devil made me do it. Because <laughs> no, the devil can't make us do it. We, we do this, uh, we lust after things when we give in to ourselves, and it produces that. So anyway, I'm not trying to give us an exhaustive thing tonight. That's why I'm trying to wrap this up. And I'd have been done, except Richard took a few missed questions. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> quickly thinking about forgiveness. How, where, when. It's in Him, right? In Him that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You notice in that sentence structure, it's super easy to understand. The the redemption is through His blood, and what it is, is the forgiveness of our sins. Don't make it any more complicated than that. Believe me, I spent my whole career making that more complicated. So, the redemption is through His blood, and it equals, or it is the manifestation of, or the byproduct of, or the fruit of the forgiveness of sins. Okay, second. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Messiah did not know sin, but God made him to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we might embody God's faithfulness to the covenant. I put the, the New American Standard Version in there because I, I want to contrast something, but I, I want you to know that it's okay to think about the one that's more familiar, and that is more familiar to most of us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The contrast I want to point out is I spent so much time trying to figure out what does it mean to be the righteousness of God. I don't even know what the righteousness of God is because it doesn't seem right to, to define the righteousness of God as how well God lines up with somebody's moral list. That doesn't make any sense because if anybody has the authority to make a moral list, it would be God. And so it's like the righteousness of God, the best definition I could ever get is just him being him. But that wasn't very helpful. But now, the way, the way, um, oh good, Shakira's got something going. All right, the way, the way it's put in N.T. Wright's thing, when he translates righteousness as covenant faithfulness, all of a sudden the whole thing is thrust back into a relational union. So here's what I mean. God made him to be sin on our behalf so that in Him, in Jesus, you and I might embody the very faithfulness to the covenant that God manifests. So just think about whatever covenant you want to think about. And I, I like thinking about Abraham's covenant. God made that covenant essentially with Himself while Abraham was asleep on behalf of Abraham. And He, he cut the animals and He walked down there and He did this and all. I mean, you know, I mean, Abraham cut the animals, but He walked down there with the censer and there was the two. That's the whole point. God's righteousness, when N.T. Wright talks about that, is his faith, a covenant faithfulness, meaning that he does what he says. He delivers what he promises. He redeems who he loves. And that, the way Wright puts it, so that in him you and I might embody that same faithfulness. 
not measurement against some arbitrary moral standard that you have to have exceptions made if you live in, in the Polynesian islands, you girls don't have to wear a top. Here you do. You know, I mean, it, we've, I mean, I don't want to be mean, but my God, we've been so shallow in our understanding of the central character of who God is. And we've, we've, that's what Wright says when he says we've moralized this. We've created a, it from said list. So anyway, that's why I put both those up there. John 12, 31 and 32. We've touched on this, but it, John 12 is not a place where we all read a lot. You know, that's, now judgment has come upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Two things about that one I wanted to remind us of. This came just after the second time that God spoke from the heavens. No, third time. The first time was at Jesus' baptism. The second time was on the Mount of Transfiguration. The third time was in John 12. The Greeks are around. They're asking all kinds of questions. He's talking about himself. And God speaks and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. And Jesus said, hey, this voice wasn't for you. It was for me. I mean, it wasn't for me. It was for you. And then he says this. And I've, I have quoted this a number of times. And I've heard it quoted to me. And I've even seen people put it in writing. If the Son of Man be lifted up, he will draw them in. It's not a third person statement. It's Jesus standing there himself talking about his death. That's what it says in the next verse. If I be lifted up, I will draw all. And the reason that I italicize men is because it's not in the text. He'll draw all to himself. Now, he was lifted up. Where did forgiveness come from? Where did it happen? Jesus was saying in Luke, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And if you go ahead and you kind of try to track the order of things on the cross, it's not very long after that that Jesus says it is finished. And that's what the passage in John is about. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So, this goes all the way back to the preliminary question that started me on this study and us on this study, and that is, what does it mean that Jesus was declared to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? It means that he was doing that on the cross. And he knew he was doing it on the cross. Because he said, if I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all to myself. And uh, the whole preparation in John 13, John 14, John 15, John 16... And John 17 speaks to the details of what Jesus knew was coming. The disciples didn't get it. They thought they did. But they spoke to him. All right. So forgiveness of sin also, and this is our second point in that little outline thing, forgiveness of sin deauthorized the ruling powers and opened up repentance. So here it is in Colossians. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your faith, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. So, do you see the forgiveness of sin here? When did that forgiveness of sin happen? It happened when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It did not happen as a result of our repentance or our choice. I'm not saying that it has nothing to do with our repentance, and I'm not saying our repentance isn't important and even necessary, but what I'm saying is our repentance didn't cause the forgiveness of sin. That was caused by the conspiracy of the Father and the Son 
in the Spirit. That was their plan. That's why that God was, he knew, and he's always been committed to that. All right, so he made you alive together with him, together with him, in union with him, right? Having forgiven us all our treasures. And then having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. I have heard that interpreted, and I have thought and interpreted it that way myself, that that was probably talking about the Mosaic Law. I don't really think so anymore. I think it was probably broader than that. I think the Mosaic Law manifest the kind of limitations there are on rules, laws, and moralizations when it comes to the idea of enabling a person to fully participate in the covenant righteousness of God. Uh, were the laws bad? No. And Paul emphasized that, and of course the, Jesus talked about it the same way. But they, the laws weren't the things that were ever designed to transform us into the, to, to, to completely recapture us as the image bearers of God so that we could reflect the glory of God. Okay? Uh, having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, And he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And this is why I think that you can solidly link in your heart the disempowering, the disauthorizing, the unauthorizing of the principalities and powers, because this is just really probably one sentence. I doubt that the punctuation works the way it does there, because it starts the sentence with when. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display on them, having triumphed over them through him. And the he that's doing this is Father God, and the one he's doing it with and through is Jesus on the cross. Make sense? So that act on the cross, and then that begins to give us some direction when Paul teaches uh, further that if the, if the rulers of this age had known what they were doing, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory because it upset the apple cart, their apple cart. And then, we don't have time to read this, but this sheds a whole new light on, the, on Revelation chapter 12. Because Revelation chapter 12 is that thing that's been thought of as some kind of prophetic event in the future. And uh, I never have understood that. I think all eschatology needs to be held loosely, but I've never understood, are we not in a place where the, the devil's angry and warring against the saints? Or, you know? Anyway, Revelation 12, I think, is a picture and I don't have to be right about this because I'm certainly not an author on it, uh, authority on it. I mean, but that's where he disarmed these rulers and authorities and made a public display of them. So no wonder they're upset. Anyway, you might read Revelation 12 with a different light. All right, so back here again. That covered those first two. Uh, Jesus the Messiah, the Father forgiving sins, that sin breaking exile, that sin being the redemption, the forgiveness of sin being the redemption, and then the stripping of the rulers and powers. So now we're on to the restoration of the cosmos and invites individual restoration. So 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19. uh, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. So the reason that I pause there and try to make an emphasis is because I'm going to ask you, regardless of what you believe about this verse, to consider at least for a season the possibility that that means exactly what it says, that the Apostle Paul did not limit his consideration of who he saw according to the flesh to just Jews or to just Christian believers or to just whatever. 
I believe that he could have been much more specific at that if that had been what in his heart. And so I think that he is giving us an example and permission to realize that this thing that he's talking about applies to every human being in the cosmos. That doesn't answer all the questions it raises. But I want you to think about it, okay? Um, Even though we have known Christ according to flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old thing has passed away. Behold, new things have come. Some of the verses that we looked at about God being in Christ and about uh, the union stuff, we just have to, we have to think about it, hold it loosely, and see what it says. But, you know, because it sounds conditional if anyone is in Christ. Um, but I think those two verses go together because they're one right after the other. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Then he gets more specific about what that is. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself. That's a pretty broad term. Reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. So that brings the people in. Because I don't know if lions and tigers and bears, oh my, sin. And I don't know if what they do is trespasses, but it may be. It may be a violation of their creator order as well, and Jesus is redeeming that. And we get to see in Revelation that the the, uh, lion lays down with the ox and that kind of stuff. So it seems like it was a big redemptive effort there on the cross. Successful. Uh, God who reconciles them. Okay, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That means he isn't counting our trespasses against us, correct? Okay. And he did that when Jesus was on the cross, right? Have you been able to go back and make a decision before Jesus was on the cross? Oh, okay. So he's not counting your sins against you even prior to when you knew that he wasn't. Okay, good. Thank you. So just hold that. Give it some time. Okay. Uh, And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though we were making an appeal through you. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, that means that just because this reconciliation is a finished work in the eyes of and from the perspective of the Father through Jesus, that does not in any way negate our need to be reconciled. And that gives us all kinds of room, I think, to release some of this stuff, pray about it, believe for it, and not get all discouraged and up in arms if it doesn't produce the immediate effect that we, effect that we would like or what we expect. Because there is still a process on the other side. But it's a process that is operating into a finished work, which makes what Jesus said as his last statement on the cross make sense. It is finished. It's operating into a finished work, not operating into an option that was created that may or may not come true depending on what we decide. Okay, So I'm not discounting at all the need for repentance. And then, oh, this one, he made him an innocent to be sin on our behalf so it might become the righteousness of God in him. John 16. The Holy Spirit is taking the finished work of Jesus. Now, Jesus was prophesying about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But he said this, But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the help will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, 
And look how this ties together these three boxes, these three things that happened at the crucifixion. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. Remember? The Messiah did what he did to forgive sins. Second, concerning righteousness. Third, concerning judgment. And then he explained, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. How do you deal with sin? You believe in Jesus because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your belief is into a finished work, is into a finished aspect of Jesus' nature. It is not conditional. Your experience of it, and maybe even the impact of it on you, is conditional on your choice. Yes, that's all okay. But the work itself was done when Jesus had his arms out on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, they know what to do, and what the Father responded. Second, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. That has always been a puzzle to me. It's less so now that I'm creating some emphasis in my heart on what Jesus did to the disciples after he rose from the dead. He said, hey, uh, he breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Where is righteousness being distributed, being declared, being proclaimed, being released, being ministered on this earth? It's being ministered by the image bearers that have been restored. And it started with those guys in the room. Ten of them. And it's gone on from there. And it happens here through you. I think. We're supposed to believe that. And concerning judgment, why? Because he laid to waste the authority of the principalities and powers. They have been cast down. Their control over us, their control over pagans, their control over nations is not the same as it was before Jesus died and rose again. That's why you don't really need permission to be a missionary someplace. You can go, you can declare this truth, and you can see people respond. That was not the case prior to the cross. That was not the case. And that's probably one of the cases that the whole revelation of God was so tightly confined within the nation of Israel. Because this other heavenly or second heavenly or third heavenly structure was in place still. Rightfully so, probably, justifiably so. Who knows? I don't know. Again, I don't know. So I'm not going to try to figure it out anymore. That's the most you'll hear me speak of that. I'm going to start a bucket with money in it when I try to talk about things I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, so the Holy Spirit now also empowers the work of restored image bearers on behalf of the cosmos. John 20, 19 through 23, and then down 28 and 29. And before I get into reading it, the reason I, I, for the cosmos too, I don't want us to minimize the potential righteousness of ecological work or conservation work or creative work like inventions and inventing and stuff like that. These are amazing things. This is a part of what's been released. Now, it's not that there wasn't some cool inventions prior to the cross, but honestly, guys, it's nothing compared to what's happened after that. I mean, medical advances, technological advances, social advances. Is it perfect? No. So if you feel like you want to get involved in racial reconciliation issues, or you feel like you want to get involved in um, ecological things or stuff like that, I think Jesus, in part, broke the principalities and powers that kept that stuff from being meaningful. So we've got to be careful what we 
identify as spiritual and what we reject as natural. All right, so now to the Scripture, though. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, you guys do realize this is, this is the same, the night that Jesus rose, right? So he, he appeared to Mary and he said, go tell him I'm coming. She went and told him. They didn't believe it. Then he shows up. Uh, that evening of that day, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose. So this, there was no wasted time here. This was the preem, premier, preeminent declaration of what was going on with the resurrection by the mouth of the resurrected Lord himself. For fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The significance of that that helped the disciples realize it is that with the marks in his hand and side, they realized this is the one that we left hanging on the cross. This proclamation is linked directly to Jesus being on the cross just three days before. That's important to remember. This isn't a teaching a century later. This is him saying, and they were scared, and he opened his hands to prove, this is who I am. And it says there, it had the effect, the disciples didn't rejoice when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So what I'm asking you to think about is whatever you have interpreted that to be in the past, I'm going to ask you to think about it being something fairly literal where Jesus took the work that he did, the things that he taught, the revelation of the Father, and then the the whole messianic fulfillment of that history, and he handed it, he handed that commission to his church. And, and I have no idea how to go beyond that and talk about it in detail. Uh, do we need to die on the cross? Probably not. That was a one-time kind of deal, it says in various places. Do we need to carry and release everything that was purchased and released on that cross? I think absolutely. I think that's what the whole point of this is. So, um, you know, you could do a study about... Where, where does it teach us what he was sent for? For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. See what I'm saying? We, like Paul, have no right to just think about people as natural or situations as natural because they aren't natural after the cross. They are a part of God's redemptive plan. All right, so uh, then he breathed on him and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And thank God that we, most of us in this room have been through that long teaching on the Holy Spirit. So everything that the Holy Spirit's always done, he's doing in this situation. And I do believe that this is the representation, or perhaps better said, the reality of Jesus' body being birthed out of the raw material of his disciples. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. But I want you to skip ahead a little bit and look at this verse. It's the scripture says, eight days later, because Thomas wasn't there, right? Eight days later, uh, this happened. Now, before the eight days passed, Jesus obviously left the disciples or whatever. And then uh, they told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He said, well, hey, I'm not going to believe it until I stick my finger in his hands and put my hand in his side. So eight days goes by. 
And Jesus appears again, and Thomas is there this time. He says, Thomas, put your fingers in my hands, and your hands in my side. Does Thomas do that? Actually, no. He overestimated his unbelief. (laughs) He overestimated the proof he needed. But Jesus heard him, and he said it. And Thomas got on his knees, and he said, my Lord and my God. And then it doesn't take long. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? And I don't think that was a critical thing. I think it was linking those two things. But then he said, blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. And I think, now, do I think Thomas was still a fully-fledged part of the new body of Christ? Yes. Do I think that all of the things Jesus said to him had to do with him? Yes. Uh, But there's something about this. Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. And I believe that if you will quiet your spirit and let Jesus speak to you, he will say that to you. And he will say it to you when we start telling stories about crazy, miraculous things or about forgiving really obnoxious young women in New York or about feeling urged to during an intercession, see something over a nation like Cambodia or some of the crazy places that we've seen stuff. I think he'll speak that to you and to me when we're considering world events and the way they're viewed in our culture, like the thing in Ukraine or stuff in the Middle East, and we're going to realize we don't operate under those limits. And these warfares and these hostilities and angers, they're not impenetrable because Jesus broke the the one-time power that made that kind of stuff impenetrable. And now they're just operating on deception. And the truth will set those people free. I really believe it. And so it, it's not just theoretical. This is the part that strikes me about what God's doing with us. It's not theoretical. It's really, it's really real. So, can we believe this? And let me tell you something. And and you guys are pretty good at this because we've been at this a while. One of the hindrances to believing something new is the fear of the consequence if it's wrong. And I want to tell you something. While we are approaching our Father like children, while we're leaning on the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth and to cause us to remember what Jesus said, I absolutely guarantee you in the name of Jesus, you can be dead wrong and there will not be any kind of rejection or serious consequence from the heart and mind of the Father in that. He'll correct it. Stay in there. Your standing and my standing in no way deserves on us believing 88.3% of the things we believe correctly. We're not called to build our life on that list. We're called to build our life in relationship to Jesus, to be in him, to recognize that we're in him, Don't know yourself according to the flesh as you're considering this. And I want to give you 100% permission. If you think that I am on the wrong track in this, and you go, no, I just can't, I can't believe that, that's okay. That's okay. I'm just asking you to think about it. I'm just asking you to think about it. And I'm pretty sure that the Lord will do whatever he has to do to confirm for you, and then collectively for us, how we're supposed to go, and if, if we're missing pieces, which we undoubtedly are. But if we're missing pieces, he'll give us grace to either back away from the areas where those missing pieces caused us to err, or he'll give us grace to understand the missing piece. Make sense? So, 
Well, as an example, the uh, exercise a couple weeks ago we did to, to proclaim forgiveness or release forgiveness or forgive uh, based on a particular reading of John 19, or John 20, 19, 20, 21, those three girls in, in New York. So, uh, you know, the kinds of questions that I've had since then and that I've had in my own heart are, do we have the right to do that? Don't they need to seek forgiveness? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, do we have standing? That's one of the interesting questions we've had. Ronnie's asked that. He's working on his house and stuff tonight, but at least I think he is. He might be up there. But um, uh, just taking it literally. So, yeah, so that's what I mean. Just taking it literally. The takeaway that I got from the conference last week, the personal private one, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, if, if you read something or hear something that I say and you don't know what it means, just do it the best way you can understand it and see. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, we're not going to become uh, candidates for hellfire if we seek to forgive somebody that we don't have a right to forgive. We might get correction, but we're not going to damage anything. God's not going to go, oh my God, I can't, I got to withdraw from them. So that's kind of what I mean. Uh, you have a question, Richard? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still struggling on the whole thing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you give your definition on the restraining part? Um, I wish I had brought my uh, I wish I had brought my David Bentley Hart translation because he's the only guy that I've seen. Uh, this is one of those teaching things that I opted not to try to do tonight. The word for forgive that's used most of the time is the word afime. Afime fundamentally means let go. Uh, when we talk about it as as forgiveness, it carries so much religious overtones to it that we interpret all that into that. And, and so, uh, in, in a way, I think maybe having a simpler view of what forgiveness is will give us an easier path to understand what retaining is as far as sins. So to forgive sins is to let them go. So David Bentley Hart says something like, uh, when he's quoting John 19, or John 20, Whosoever sins ye let go will be let go from them. And whosoever sins you hold will be held to them. So I think that's, that's it. Now, the, the sort of the deeper question behind that is why would we ever want to hold somebody's sins to them? And that is an issue of what the purpose of conviction and what the purpose of, of, uh, that type of stuff is, and it's more than I can go into tonight. But I do think there's a time, like John says this, he says, you know, uh, there are sins which, uh, uh, a lot of sins which don't lead to, to death, and I encourage you to pray for those, but there are some sins that lead to death I don't ask you to pray. I don't fully understand that, but I know that there's these two categories. Uh, the thing that I would encourage us to keep in mind is even if we're confused about which sins we're supposed to retain, we can still do our best in our childlike blindness and ignorance, or childlike naivete is a better word, and we can, we can try forgiving. And then if the Lord says, stop, stop, well then stop. 
and he'll have to show us how. But I'm not trying to just blow that answer off. There's a lot to study there. I've been reading some of George MacDonald, and he has some very, very good points on that that have been quite a, quite a load to absorb in my heart. You know, uh, But it makes some sense to me, so we'll talk about that. It, it would bring up some other topics that I'm not ready for tonight. So um, I just want to share a story. I'll probably cry. Um, <laughs> when we were in the vineyard, we got a phone call, and I was like, this is really weird. And um, so Larry took the call, and he looked at me, and he goes, this is a weird request. And I said, what's up? And he goes, well, there's this woman who wants to come and see us because she has some sin in her life, and she wants to know if she can be forgiven. And I said, oh, okay, uh, what do we want to do? So we made an appointment with the woman. She came to our home. And in the course of that, she had um, she confessed to us that she had had an adulterous affair, ruined a family, um, ruined her family. Her children were rejecting her. The other family was just in disarray. The adulterous man went back to his family and tried to repair things, and she was just left without anything. No, her children didn't you know want to be around her. Her lover didn't want to be around her. Um, and she just, she was just in crisis. And so as the story came out, um, we came across that scripture, you know, whatever you forgive is forgiven. And, and I was really afraid because I was, I was going to be the one to forgive her because my parents had had that happen in their lives. And, um, and so anyway, we just, you know, prayed with her. And I explained to her that I knew how her children felt because I had felt that. And I looked in her eyes and I just said, I forgive you. She breaks down crying. She puts her head on my shoulder, cries for about a half an hour. And I'm just stroking her hair saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I love you. I forgive you. And Anyway... In the midst of that, you think to yourself, am I doing the right thing or am I being, you know, am I taking on the position of God? And honestly, you guys, the transformation in her was amazing. It was amazing. We saw her a week later, her countenance, her buoyancy, her love of life was back. She was reconciling with her children because she was forgiven. She went to her kids and, you know, and life was amazing for her. And after, I don't know, I think it was two weeks later, we saw her in a store and it was just such a vast difference. And she was testifying about what was going on. And we walked away going, wow, this is, you know, this is amazing. And so in the midst of that, because my dad had had all these affairs, I was able to forgive all those women, right? Now, to your point about retaining, I didn't forgive my dad. I let him have that sin that he did. It wasn't until 20, 40 years later. Nah, well, what would it be? Mm, 30, maybe 30, 30 years now. later, was I able to forgive my dad. And in the midst of that, so, so I... You know, listening to Larry talk tonight about the retaining thing, I was just thinking about that, like, oh, gosh, you know, I didn't ever let my dad off the hook. I didn't, you know, I didn't forgive him. 
as easily as I forgave all the women that had affairs with him or this gal. And so I do think that we can retain, you know, something like that and just let that person wallow in it. Um, but obviously the better plan is to not retain it. And so... Um, well, the thing we're going to study about is there may be an appropriate purpose for retaining or Jesus wouldn't have said it. And I think we, I, we don't need to be afraid of not knowing about it now. We just need to ask. But probably doing the thing that we can make some sense out of is going to position our hearts to learn the thing that we don't know. Or we could sit around till we all have it figured out and do nothing. Or just do what I normally do, which is theologize about it. Yeah. Alan, you ready, buddy? Um, just what you were saying. Um, I'm being drawn back to the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is so, says, you know, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I reflect on that now, what is it like in heaven? It's forgiveness, complete forgiveness. And then he goes on to say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then it goes on, which we don't you know, you know, the last bit, which isn't in the Lord's Prayer, but it's the next verse. And I think this is the Father, I believe this is the Father's heart. If we forgive others, then he will forgive us. And I believe that you've just put another complete light on everything, brother. Because the more we forgive, with the more we will bring his kingdom to this earth. The more, just like, just like, um, was just, you know, the forgiveness brings freedom. And not only to ourselves, but to others around us. And just like Vicky said, the more we do that, the more his kingdom will come. So it just changes everything. Thing you mentioned about uh, the conditional nature—it sounded like, sounds like, of us forgiving and God forgiving. The way George McDonald approaches that, and this will be something that I, I promise to bring you guys uh, once I have a, a little bit of a handle on it, is w when we refuse to forgive somebody else, we aren't refusing a specific thing. We are refusing the power of forgiveness. And if you refuse the power of forgiveness, it puts a barrier up for you to receive the power of forgiveness in the same way. And it's not a legal thing, and it's not a, a tit-for-tat tit for that type thing that God does. It's, that it's sort of the same as that thing about uh, all manner of sins against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but sins against the Holy Spirit won't, because the Holy Spirit, and, and it, that's not a permanent won't, it means that when you shut your heart to the one who delivers forgiveness to you, when you shut the one, the, your heart to the one who is the only one that, that remakes you, the, the, the sent one, the Spirit of God, then that's going to create a problem until that's taken care of. And there's reasons for that. There's ways that that get taken care of through uh, who God is as light and who God is as conviction, who God is as consuming fire. So there's a lot more to study that way. But. You know, yes. In my situation with the rejection and everything that's happening in my situation, the more I've forgiven, the more freedom I have. And that, just like, just like Vicky said, the more freedom that she had. And that's 
that's the will of God to, to uh, that we should walk in that freedom. Doug, you got anything? <laughs> Doug and I talked about a couple of stories that have come out of his past. These aren't necessarily forgiveness stories, but they are stories. Uh, whichever one you decide to do is totally fine. They are stories of remote impact, you know, as a, as a part of the body of Christ. So uh, a couple stories. Um, uh, these are me and Larry and I, and then even Vicki, uh, when we went to Conejos or sometime this last trip, we were talking about, um, I've been having these thoughts back quite a few years ago. I was really, for a while there, I was really, in the Holy Spirit and kind of crazy, but um, there was one time we were at where AJ's Pizza was, and the Holy Spirit was hammering me, almost to the point where I felt I was somewhere else, and I was with Janet in the group, you know, the band, and we went and we ate some sandwiches there, but I was almost like transported somewhere, and I was trying to order, and then I was all, I was just somewhere else, and I felt like I was called to go into this house, it was a drug house, and I walked into this house, and I can see the table, and these guys doing their, you know, getting ready to do their deals, and then, you know, weighing their stuff and all that, and I went into the back room, and there was this little girl in the back corner, just where they're, you know, in the corner, standing up, just a little thing, with her hands over her uh, eyes, and just crying, and I felt I needed to pray for her, and, and do these things, and this was quite a few years ago, Vicki told me, I don't know if we started talking, but she says, yeah, I had that same thing where I felt that I was out there in West, and I don't know if she said, I think it was Detroit. I was like, you're kidding me. So we had, and this was just a couple months ago that we had the same thing. I said, how long ago was this? And it was around the same period where we were praying for this young girl in a city and um, we're at the same I mean it it was like the same total situation so I thought wow that was strange I got another little story is going on with the redemption thing I have a family member and he got, got stuck in my I'm gonna keep the names I'll try to keep the names out to protect the innocent but uh, I have a family member I called back to California was checking in and he got himself stuck in the mud and was going through some things. And I started getting mad at that person, almost thinking, like, if I was there right now, I'd go over and I'd do this, 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 and this. You know, I was just that, smacking him, smacking them. And then all of a sudden, I told myself, you know what? That's the wrong. The devil can't have them. The devil can't have him. He's just stuck. He's being lied to, probably being beat up and stuff beating himself up and stuff. So I started praying for him. And this was just, what, three weeks ago? Start praying for him. Before I knew it, the Holy Spirit hit me. I was on, the, on my face praying, and I was crying out, and I was up, down, up, down the stairs, and just releasing everything I could. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, have so-and-so call him. So I called my other family member. I says, you need to call so-and-so right now. And this was late at night. It was like 10 or 11 at night. They called, talked for an hour, went over there because he got himself stuck in the mud, wouldn't come around the family, wouldn't do some stuff. There were situations. So I called like, you know, a week later 
to check in and he was going to the family stuff again and he was up and he was you know doing really good still trying but it and, was and all Doug, am, I, am i correct in understanding that when you called the one family member that you asked to go over you didn't tell me any details you just said you need no, to go over i said you need to talk call so it wasn't you passing on any kind of prophetic message or anything no. like that it was just you listening you to the Lord in response to that call okay and the and the, the person i called was ready to go and it was kind of weird and this leads up to just the last few days or this last few weeks i've been getting people in my head again uh, just popping in my head from my past that I worked with or whoever, you know, family, friends, just people. And they're popping in my head and I'm starting to just pray for them. I was like, instead of me just, uh, why is that going on? I said, okay, Lord's calling me to start praying. And I've been releasing forgiveness over the situation. So maybe that person may not be the one that needs to be forgiven, but the situation, maybe the person that's bringing a situation to the person needs forgiveness. So I've been just praying out. I forgive them. I forgive those people. I forgive. I just release goodness, grace. I release heaven on these people, angels, any, anybody sitting around with your finger in your ear. Here's something to do. Go do it, you know. So that was something else that, um, that's been happening. And then uh, one other thing is back in the day, um, the dude from Apple that started Apple. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Well, he was dying. And I, I just felt the Holy Spirit hitting me, and I was just praying for him one time. And all of a sudden, in my mind, Zai, I was being transported, like, through light. And all of a sudden, I was staring at him from his monitor. And this was a long time before we'd ever done ascensions or anything and had yeah. a model for that. So, And uh, I started praying for him, and he was, he was, it was dark. The room was dark. I felt like it was kind of late. And he was, he was looking, and all of a sudden, I saw him just kind of pierce away and look like this. And I was just praying for him to, you know, just receive the Holy Spirit, receive Jesus, and all this good stuff. And it was it was. Didn't really you tell cool him that, you, that he didn't have anything to be afraid of? And, yeah, I was yeah. telling him not, no, that, was another, that was another one. Oh, that's a different one, okay. But I did tell him, you know, hey, you know, and he looked real thin, and he wasn't looking good. And I think he passed that next week, he passed, but that was kind of a trip. And I got one more, and I'll call it good. I have a friend up here, and I have a computer shop for quite a few years. And he did some work for us, and he was a really good friend. He, he would come get me and just take me uh, hiking. He, had all, he knew all the back really cool hiking trails and everything, especially if you wanted to hunt elk and stuff. So he was teaching me, the, but he came in one time. I haven't seen him in a while, and he was wearing a, a, a bag. You know, one of those colos what are those things? Colossomy bag. Colossomy bag. And he, he said, I just come to say bye to you. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I got cancer. I'm dying. I, I don't have much time. You know, they give me much time. And I just wanted to say bye. So he doesn't, he, I don't even know if he would let me pray for him at that time. But he didn't really believe in God. And he was just mad at all that kind of God stuff. So, well, uh, 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 just a handful of weeks later, Another friend that, you know, was friends with all of us, just keeping the names out because we're live. He called and says, hey, I'm going to go see so-and-so because he's not doing good. He's, he's going to die any time now. I'm going to go and um, I'm going to go visit him. So I'll go with you. So we went out to his house. And sure enough, he was laying in a, in a bed. He had, you know, oxygen on him. And he was staring straight up. 
he couldn't move, he couldn't do anything, and he was just there. And came in, oops, sorry, and uh, he said bye and all that good stuff, and he goes, I can't take this anymore, so him and his wife left the room. And I was just there with my friend there, and I, I came up to him, I said, I'm praying for you right now. I pray for peace. I pray for everything. I said, God loves you, dude. God loves you right now. He loves you. He's always loved you. And I just prayed peace on him and released peace on him. And I just said, do not be afraid. You do not have to be afraid. He died the next day. But when I said that, and I was getting ready to leave, he, he went, Eep. like, that was the only thing he could do. But he kind of tried to do some kind of a thing. I just laid my hands on him and and release that on him, and, and praise God. It was good stuff. So you were making a declaration that at one point in, in time, in a lot of our theology, we wouldn't have known if we had the permission. The guy's getting ready to die, doesn't believe, doesn't act like he believes anyway. Do we have the right, really, to say you don't have anything to be afraid of? You don't have to be afraid. That's right. That's right. Cool. Okay, uh, Jeannie? Okay, all right. So I'm going to make one last closing remark. And, and then, because this isn't the last we're going to obviously deal with this, um, for the last while, maybe six months, seven months at least, uh, it's come up regularly in our elders' meetings that we need to pursue more of the Holy Spirit, pursue more of prophetic, things like that. Jen, you've been a champion of that, just very perseverant, and I appreciate it a lot. With all my heart, I believe that what the Lord is revealing is because we have turned to look at those things. And I believe that this is a part of that thing which we're seeking. Um, Doug, at one point in time, Doug could have shared that testimony in, in Joyland, and you guys would have been sitting out there or your counterparts at that time, and they would have go, yeah, Doug's really a bold guy. He does that kind of stuff. That's not the point of that testimony. The point of that testimony is that we are a part of the body of Christ that have been in one degree or another restored as image bearers and carry the ministry that God sent Jesus with. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And that things like forgiveness, assurance, prophetic ministry, these things, they are a part of the inheritance we have in this restored image bearing thing. And the fruit of us wanting it is that God's giving it to us. Do we understand it? No. Is there confusion about it? Yes. Uh, does that prevent us from doing what we can do? It shouldn't, but it may. But we'll keep after it, and I'm sure he's going to keep after us as well. The last thing I want to share, and then uh, you go ahead, let Laurel, we're ready for her to bring the kids out or whatever, Vic, you want to get it? So to follow up, I, I was so uh, hoping, of course, that when I did some searches online that I would find amazing repentance and stuff from those three girls in New York. I did not find a lot of that. Um, but I did find something. Uh, so the, the three women's names are Pearl Lazoria. She's 27 years old. Shitara Placentia is 25. And Tatiana Johnson is 23. Pearl lives in, in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Shitaria and Titania live in Brooklyn. Uh, Pearl is out on bond, and she has a number of additional charges, including assaulting a police officer. Um, Shataria and Tatiana, according to this story that I was able to find, went, and uh, uh, this was prior to them having their hearing, 
Shataria was still pretty aggressive in court, pushing back and, and kind of railing against people a, a little bit. And Tatiana was very subdued. Now, God doesn't owe me an explanation for why we're supposed to do what we do. But I am very willing to take this, Tatiana is very subdued, and think, wow, maybe there's a crack in the, in the armor. So I would encourage you guys, if you could, to, to continue to pray. And if you're more comfortable proclaiming that God loves them, if you're more comfortable declaring forgiveness, if you're more comfortable saying, I forgive you, I mean, it's totally okay. We're not going to go too far astray trying to do what Jesus said. I'm not asking you to do or say something that you cannot believe. Okay? I'm not asking that. But what I am asking is for you to believe something that you may not be able to fully understand. I'm not asking that you do something you don't believe. I'm asking that you believe something you may not fully understand. Okay? Praise God. You guys are awesome.